0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes, I'm Brett McGarry. For the first time in, I don't know how long, for two weeks in a row, we have both seen the big blockbuster release of the week.
1: I'm Jeff Braun, yes, we're going to dive into the new Mission Impossible movie, and I'll also review a pretty bad Netflix movie starring Pierce Brosnan, plus...
0: The Emmy nominations are out, and there's one category in particular that will blow your mind. Hang on, hang on. I got to intervene here. We have completed recording the show, but upon review of Jeff's review of Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, and he's going to hate me (laughs) if he hears this, but uh, he's got some spoilers in his review. Mild spoiler stuff. If you've already read some reviews, then you know the basic plot points, but if you haven't read any reviews and you you don't really know the plot, don't listen to the next four minutes and 30 seconds, starting
1: now. (laughs) But first, after an agonizing wait, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1 is finally in theaters now. Ethan, the world's coming after you. Go, 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 go! So what's the play? If I tell you to run, you run. Run? Not in these heels. The fate of the world depends on you.
0: Georgie, go to plan B. Okay, great!
1: What is that? Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, ready PG-13. Dead Reckoning, part one, is the seventh Mission Impossible movie and Tom Cruise is third with director Christopher McQuarrie. And they've done it again. It's a fantastic, thrilling action-adventure movie executed so much better than most of the other action movies of modern times. Tom Cruise returns yet again as Ethan Hunt super spy. He's joined by old friends played by Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, and Rebecca Ferguson. And this time out, they're up against a malevolent piece of artificial intelligence bent on taking over the world. Luckily, the AI has a human avatar in the form of a guy named Gabriel played by S.A. Morales. Haley Atwell plays an innocent bystander who gets swept up in the adventure, although she's not so innocent as being a professional thief and all. And that comes in handy as everyone is going after the key that can the AI and once Ethan Hunt is on the case he's got everybody coming after him good guys, bad guys, guys we're not sure about. Henry Zerny returns from the first movie as Kittredge a big wig in the American intelligence community and he's one of the guys we can never really be sure about. He's uh, the human form of the US government in that that is all he cares about. He wants the key he doesn't care how he gets it or who may get killed in the process. And some other familiar faces pop up like Vanessa Kirby returning as an arms dealer Palm Clemente, fake Mantis from the MCU, Carrie Elwes as Kittridge's boss, and my favorite Shay Wiggum as one of the US intelligence guys on the Hunt for Hunt. So there are a lot of people and factions involved in the chase and what a thrilling chase it is. We get big set pieces in the Bering Sea, Rome, Abu Dhabi, and the Australian or the Austrian Alps. We get an awesome car chase that in a summer of awesome car chases still managed to feel fresh to me. We get a bunch of stuff on a train as seen in the trailer and speaking of the trailer, we get that motorcycle jump off the cliff with frankly uh, you know after seeing the movie kind of wish they had left it as a surprise and didn't put it in the trailer but oh well I will say this that teaser uh, the teaser and the trailer give away too much stuff on the stunt front I think but that teaser that came out last year when Top Gun Maverick opened that might be my new number one all time trailer I've watched it dozens if not hundreds of times over the past year and I got goosebumps every single time so it was fun to finally see They get some context for all the stuff in the trailer. Um, I know they set the release dates far in advance. I know the time between coming up with an idea and writing a script to seeing a finished movie in theaters can be several years, but there are some interesting things to note here. For starters, not sure if it was on purpose or a happy accident, but... I thought it just worked nicely for a cruising company to have their movie be kind of one of the last major action movies of the summer, or maybe rather it was more lucky for everyone else, because I'm talking about Fast 10, John Wick 4, and Indiana Jones 5. I think those all would have felt a little less exciting if we watched them after Mission Impossible, especially Fast X, which also does the car chase in Rome, and those movies are all about car chases, but the Mission Impossible one is far more thrilling, even though there's far less destruction. It's just better filming making and the second thing about the timing was just how timely some stuff was i won't get into spoiler territory but uh 10 minutes into the movie i kind of thought oh i bet they had some meetings about this earlier this month because that's kind of weird i'll uh, rip from the headlines some of the stuff seems to be mostly though i'm talking about the ai having them as a the bad guy they could not have known when they started making this movie how big ai would be in our collective conscience by the time the movie hit theaters so that was pretty wild um and speaking of the ai Let's talk about the human bad guy behind it, uh, S.A. Morales. I've seen him in a few things, mostly as uh, I know him as Lieutenant Rodriguez from NYPD Blue. He was Sipowitz's boss for three seasons, and I just loved him on that show. So he's a great bad guy. And bad guys have never really been the strength of the Mission Impossible series, aside from maybe the first movie, and uh, especially the third with Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's been the best bad guy they've had by far. Haley Atwell, I thought, was amazing in this movie. She had great chemistry with Tom Cruise. Uh, I think I've actually only really seen her in the first Captain America movie, so it was nice to see her in something else. And like I said, she was terrific in it. The Old Gang, also great to have back with uh, Ving Rames and Simon Pegg. They're always a lot of fun. And this movie has some real emotional stakes that not all of the Mission Impossible movies have, although Fallout did too at the end. But this movie, I thought, did a better job of making me actually care about what happens than uh, anything that happened in the fast, wicker indie movies this summer. For what it's worth, it also does a much better job at being a part one of a two-part movie than Fast X did. That movie ended so dumbly with a cliffhanger that was trying to make us believe a bunch of people were either dead or in danger in a franchise where no one ever really dies. So I was like, yeah, whatever. Uh, Mission Impossible, on the other hand, tells a complete story that actually had an ending, but also set us up for part two. And for us diehards, there were a lot of great callbacks to the other Mission Impossible movies, some on purpose, some probably not on purpose, but just the result of being seven movies deep into a franchise. Some repetition is just bound to happen happen. My only real knock on it was that there were a couple of pretty long stretches without action and I think the non-action filmmaking was actually better than most of the other movies in the series but I think maybe on rewatches it'll feel a bit slow in those spots not that we should be judging these things on how they'll You know, see him on a rewatch. Overall, though, good stuff all around. Highly entertaining, a worthy continuation of a series that impresses every time. I'm going to give Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One four couch cushions out of five. Brett, what about you?
0: I agree on pretty much all fronts. The action in this movie was crazy. The car chase through the streets of Rome. Is nerve-wracking, it's thrilling, and it's amusing for multiple reasons, including the goofery with Cruz and Atwell and watching them trying to navigate the cobblestone streets as they drift around and they can't get any traction on the street, and the contrast of them driving a tiny car while being pursued by this giant tank of an SUV. It's basically a Canyonero. Uh, it might be a good D-Box movie as well for that chase. Those are the seats that shake. Even in my theater, I could feel... I wasn't in a D-Box seat. I was. I went to a Landmark Cinemas uh, show with one of those reclining seats. And uh, I, I could even there feel the Canyon Arrow rumbling in my seat because of the excellent bass that Landmark has. The movie got released early, presumably, because Tom Cruise wants to maximize the IMAX screenings because it was shoehorned in between Indiana Jones and then Oppenheimer comes out on the 21st, and that has a three-week stretch on IMAX because Christopher Nolan uses IMAX cameras, so they, they made sure to give him a good plug. And uh, I, I saw it on the extra screen at Landmark, and those Landmark has excellent sound overall where it's not too loud and you can really feel that bass. But the screen ratio isn't any different than a normal one from what I could tell, whereas the IMAX screen is bigger. It's not like a full, proper, true IMAX, but the, the one that you see in the, the most movie theaters, it's still an IMAX brand and the screen is a little bit bigger. Uh, and I would also say that the sound in my local IMAX theater, I find it too loud So the bass just gets drowned out. Other Cineplex theaters, there's a newer one here in Winnipeg called Cineplex Junction, and their sound was better, but the IMAX screen... Um, at the Scotiabank Theatre here in Winnipeg. They just, the sound is too loud. I'm not sure what the Ultra AVX Cineplex equivalent is like. The screen size is definitely comparable to IMAX, but the screen tends to be just a touch darker than IMAX. But they do have D-Box, so (laughs) I kind of want to see this again. Now I just got to figure out where to go see it again because, like I said, this would be a great movie, I think, for D-Box. And there are some great featurettes on YouTube for this movie. You know, Jeff referenced the stunts being kind of spoiled in the trailer. So proceed at your own peril if you do watch these featurettes before you see the movie. The car chase in Rome, the foot chase and fights in Venice. Like, they had to bring in all their equipment by boat, which is kind of cool. And the motorcycle stunt featurette on how they did that is just incredible. The climax of the train scene was as insane as anything I've ever seen it was so exciting. It looked so real. I was on the edge of my seat. I was just, I couldn't stop fidgeting. I kept crossing one leg and then crossing the other one and, you know, holding on to the back of my head. I was, it was, it was intense. And I would add this. I think the movie with some of its content almost borders on Pierce Brosnan, James Bond camp. But I think it, it does a great job at not going into that, territory. Haley Atwell, like Jeff said, amazing addition. When she first shows up, she oozes charisma and sex appeal. Yes, sex appeal. She's hot, okay? I have a big crush on Haley Atwell ever since that first Captain America movie that Jeff mentioned. But later she reminds us, beyond the charisma, that she is Agent Carter from the Marvel Cinematic Universe a.k.a. Captain Carter whom you did briefly see in Doctor Strange, the multiverse of madness.
1: Oh, and also, I mean, spoilers for the end of uh, Avengers Endgame, but she's in the last shot of that as well. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but yeah, she's, a, and she, she
0: had her own show, Agent Carter. Uh, she's a badass. I mean, just what a welcome addition to this. And she, of course, is complimented by an excellent female cast, Rebecca Ferguson, who has one of the most lethal and yet elegant fighting styles I think I've ever seen. Pam Clementif who's just kind of crazy and scary. So that was nice to see because we're used to her playing Mantis, who's sort of a goofy character. And even Vanessa Kirby. She doesn't get to shine as much in this movie as the last one, but she's a welcome addition all the time, no matter what she's in. Personally, I didn't care for making the bad guy, like personally connected to Ethan's deep past Maybe it's something from the first movie. I, I can't remember, and I just found it distracting. I've
1: only seen it's, that first one once. Yeah, it's nothing to do with the first movie. It's just uh, entirely being retconned, and yeah, it was a little bit thin in this, and I think maybe we'd get more of that in part two, maybe. Yeah, I hope so, but I would add that He is a great
0: counter to Tom Cruise because Ethan is emotional. He's motivated by his love of his team and his desire to preserve human life. The other guy is cold and calculating and doesn't care who dies on his pursuit to get what he's looking for. John Wick influence? Big, lavish, gothic party armed with aggressive light show and EDM, that's electronic true. dance music. They did that and followed as well, though, didn't they? Before didn't they? they
1: fought the guy in the bathroom, I think. I can't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, even still, though, that was still after John Wick 1, which started all this. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And funnier than expected. I, I It worked. It really worked uh, because there, there was one scene in particular I'll just say it's after the motorcycle stunt and it it worked so well because it was only a few seconds long but it did a great job at cutting the tension and it was just so unexpected. So I loved it. Plot was kind of thin and goofy at times but it does tie into real world as ex- real world existential fears. Not just from the main villain but also the idea of everyone pretending to get along but all grasping at real power. The sense that we might all be doomed. So I'm going to give it Also, four couch cushions out of five, maybe four and a half. The action is just breathtaking. See this on the big screen. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Just wanted to quickly mention this. We are recording this at noon Winnipeg time on Thursday, so we don't know yet. If the actors are going on strike, they're having a news conference that's scheduled for 12 p.m. Pacific time. So that's two o'clock in the afternoon our time. So by the time we're done recording the show and the podcast is already up and loaded, uh, they won't have made any announcement yet. So if they go on strike, I guess we'll be talking about that next week and what the implications could mean on your entertainment. And speaking of your entertainment, Jeff, one of your favorites is back.
1: Yeah, after the string of series finales that we've been bombarded with this year, I'm thrilled to have another favorite returning for, as far as I know, just another season. It's the vampire mockumentary, What We Do in the Shadows. Make me a vampire, sure, man. I thought the transformation would be overnight, but it's been 16 days. I can't turn into a bat yet. <sighs> Human form.
0: I am running for Comptroller. Can't wait to flex my blue-collar fides on the debate stage. Three weeks ago when I started this. Chuck, microphone, microphone. I can no longer wait, take me to United States. Take me to
1: Golden Gate, I will
0: assimilate. This is the mall. Bikini warehouse.
1: Must be a front for a brothel. I would like you to honor these coupons. That's just a cut-out photo of Ryan Seacrest. What We Do in the Shadows is a single-camera mockumentary-style comedy about a group of vampires living together in a house in Staten Island, New York. They are hundreds of years old, but it's set in modern times, and a lot of the comedies derive from the fish-out-of-water scenario of A, being vampires, and B, being hundreds of years old and not knowing how things like CD players work. But really, most of the comedies derive from the fact they're all really dumb, like Homer Simpson kind of dumb. They have a human with them, this kid Guillermo, who makes a lot of withering glances toward the camera jim halpert style as the audience surrogate he's also desperately wants to become a vampire himself and it sounds like he might be on his way this season it's all really good stuff if you've never seen it you like a good laugh and some comic gore and incredibly filthy language don't bother you the first four seasons are streaming on disney plus how do you feel about taking the virginity of a dead ghost it's your lucky night And Season 5 out now, or at least the beginnings of it, out now on uh, FX. And this was adapted from a movie, right? Yeah, a movie by Jemaine uh, Clement and Taika Waititi. Have you seen it? I have not seen the movie. I love the show, I've just not gotten around to seeing the movie. I don't know if they're related together canonically or whatever, if one, or I think they might be separate in that regard, even though I think both Jemaine Clement and Taika Waititi have appeared on the show. I don't know that. Playing the same characters or not.
0: Would you be scared to watch the movie as though, in a, in a way, that it would somehow taint your enjoyment of the show? No, I, I don't think that it would. I think it'd be okay. I just haven't got around to it yet. All right. We'll see. Coming up in just a moment, we are going to hear a review from Jeff on what he describes as not a particularly great movie on Netflix. Nuh-uh. That's, I think it's in their top 10. And I've got a review. Of a really cool new show starring Idris Elba. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. And I feel like I'm sort of becoming a shill for Apple TV Plus because I've got another Apple TV Plus show to talk about. First, it was Ted Lasso, then Silo. And while watching Silo, I was seeing ads... Before some of the episodes for a show that was set to debut on June 28th, so I figured I'd give it a shot because it looked cool. Idris Elba stars in Hijack. Stay in your seats. No, no, no.
1: Operation has commenced. Voids, tablets. The plane is under control.
0: You need to see this. The
1: plane veered, of course.
0: Someone is calling for help. Got family, loved ones. We got one job to do right now, just get through it for them.
1: I got a message from the plane.
0: Dad says, incident on board. What exactly does your dad do for a living? It's difficult to explain. Sam's the best at handling it. Handling what? The negotiation.
1: There are 200 people on this flight. If they try something, and then this plane goes down, I don't get home to my family. Let me make you an offer.
0: So Hijack is a seven-episode series that takes place on a seven-hour flight from Dubai to London. It's more or less in real time. The episodes are about 45, 50 minutes, so it's not quite like 24 where it's down to the minute, but it's close enough. The show starts casually enough, Idris Elba sauntering through the airport, no luggage in hand, just a gift bag, makes it to the gate and onto the plane he goes, where the show then proceeds to wonderfully set up The normal chaos of getting everyone on board a plane with all the different kinds of people traveling. Young singles, flustered families, stressed out business people, anxious seniors, etc. We meet a few of the key supporting characters who will be the focal points of the show and then hijack. Elba plays Sam Nelson who's some sort of a big-shot corporate negotiator who is good at handling it when things kick off. So he inserts himself into the situation to try to mitigate any potential disaster, all where they try to get word to the ground. And that's a basic plot. I've watched four episodes so far. They debut on Wednesdays, although, again, much like most of Ted Lasso Season 3, this week's episode was there for me to watch on Tuesday evening. And so far... I love it. Like the first three episodes, when I watched those first three, they had all aired already so I could watch them back to back to back. I wasn't going to. I got to the end of the second episode and I thought I should go to bed, but I really want to see what happens in episode three. So there I stayed. The show looks great. Like the shots in the plane are tight and yet they still managed to get some Really beautiful shots with some nifty lens flare. And outside the plane, they get some stunning aerial photography. I don't know if it's real or if it's some sort of an animated Cinescape. I don't care. It's got some beautiful stuff. The musical score is super, it's really tense. And Archie Punjabi is in it. She plays a counter-terrorism agent. So her presence in this show feels somewhat familiar because she's the star of the global TV show, Departure, where she plays a transportation investigator. Season one was about a plane crash and the mystery surrounding it. Season two was about a train crash. And season three is coming soon. It's about the sinking of a ferry. The first season of Departure was great. I haven't watched season two yet, but I guess that's got to be next on my list because season three debuts on August 7th, so if you want to get caught up in that, you should be able to watch it on demand or through the global TV app. This uh, hijack is a tense, taut show with lots of excitement. Elba's terrific, but some of the story beats are a little silly, like just dumb things happen, but if they didn't do some of the dumb things they do on this plane there'd be no story and thus no show they need dumb stuff to happen to cause chaos and excitement there's also an air traffic controller in England who I really like she's first introduced as a bit of a like a squirrely mom who's always late for work and when she shows up for work we understand why her tardiness is tolerated because she figures out what no one else could figure out in like five seconds she's a machine episode 3 had a great cliffhanger, by the way, so if you haven't watched it yet, you're going to have the benefit of being able to just jump to episode four. But there are still three episodes to go, and this is definitely a show you will want to binge. So again, those new episodes come out on Wednesdays. Overall, it's just a sol- it's a solid fun show. It's thrilling and it's different, and we've seen so many hijacking stories over the years, but we don't really know what our main character is all about. We know very little about this man so he's the main wild card and I like that curious to see how it plays out too because the bad guys are four episodes in are also a mystery we still don't know who they are or what they want or who they work for so yeah it's just a cool show hijack Apple TV Plus check it out
1: well you had a lot more luck than I did uh, exploring something new this week uh, Brett because I watched a new movie from the Adam Sandler cinematic universe (laughs) Um, it's a Netflix movie called The Outlaws my parents just emailed that they're coming to our wedding. Oh,
0: I get to meet your parents finally. Are you psyched? You're not psyched. Are you psyched at all? Is there any psyched happening?
1: Sitting on top of the world, I'm up.
0: You haven't met this woman's parents yet. They've been off the grid the whole time we've been together.
1: What's going down, baby, what's up? Hey! Billy and Lily McDermott meet my parents. Pleasure to meet you, neil You're very attractive. Well, thank you. That's not a compliment. For me, it's too much. You deserve something better than that pasty little goober. Dad, just give him a chance. Well, what does a bank manager do? I manage all the security.
0: It's the best. Let's just pray we have a nice,
1: chill day.
0: This is a robbery!
1: I think your parents robbed my bank.
0: You can't be serious.
1: So it's the outlaws as opposed to the in-laws because the prospective groom believes his fiance's parents to be a pair of notorious bank robbers. It's executive produced by Adam Sandler. The director is the same guy who made the terrible David Spade, Lauren Lapkus movie The Wrong Missy a couple years ago, which I actually really enjoyed. Not a good movie, but it did make me laugh a lot. Adam Devine stars in the outlaws as the prospective groom Owen, and he plays, wait for it, a bank manager, and again, worried that he's getting married to a woman whose parents are bank robbers. So, herein lies the uh, inherent conflict. He's getting married to Parker, played by Nina Dobrev. His parents are played by Julie Haggerty and Richard Kind, and her parents are played by Ellen Barkin and Pierce Brosnan. Lil Rel Howery and Lacey Mosley play a pair of bank employees, and they steal the scenes therein. Michael Rooker's also in it. He plays an FBI agent. Pretty good cast in not a great movie, I'm sorry to say. Owen is a very straight-laced guy, so it'll be even funnier when all hell breaks loose, right? No, not really. Adam Devine, the actor, is a funny guy, I find, in small doses. As a starring role, I just I don't think he can quite carry it. Not here anyways. He's going for a silly uh, Jason Bateman type, I guess. But Bateman is a master at being the anchor of a movie and at being a straight man who's also very funny. And Adam Devine is just not at that level. But it's a solid effort, and he certainly gets points for trying, and he gets a few laughs. Uh, He's helped throughout with the stellar cast. Lil Rel, Michael Rooker, and Julie Haggerty provide enough laughs, I think, to keep the movie going. And then there's the mystery of it all. And the mystery is sort of answered halfway through the movie, which is fine because it's not the kind of mystery that you can't figure out the answer to yourself really easily. And if they had left the reveal to the end, it would have been disappointing because we would have been way ahead of the story, which is usually not a fun way to watch things. And that brings us to Ellen Barkin and Pierce Brosnan. Barkin's a little stiff, but still pretty funny. Brosnan is having the time of his life. He gets to play a tough guy and also do some comedy, which he clearly enjoys. We think of him, of course, as James Bond. And there is a terrific James James Bond joke in this movie, but he does a lot of comedy as well. He's been in uh, like the Eurovision movie, Mrs. Doubtfire, Mamma Mia—all spring to mind. He's pretty good at it, and again, he's very game for it. Other James Bonds like Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton have done comedy every now and again as well. I guess Sean Connery did a little bit in his Indiana Jones movie, but he wasn't really a comedy guy. And Daniel Craig, of course, was hilarious in the Knives Out movie. So there you go. If you're James Bond, you can also be funny. Now the question is: Is there enough comedy in this movie to make it worthwhile? And that's a tough call. It's only 90 minutes long, but it's also not nearly as funny as you would like. There are a few good laughs. There are a lot of jokes though that just did not land at all for me and unfortunately a lot of them came from our hero Owen, which is not what you want. Luckily, again, we have characters played by Rooker and Lil Rel and Julie Haggerty to carry us through and I sort of want to recommend it just for Julie Haggerty alone. I mean, she's been hitting home runs ever since Airplane in 1980. Her movies are not always great, but she's always great in them as she is here. Overall, it's about what we expect from the friends of Adam Sandler, a movie that has a few laughs, but somehow only feels two thirds baked. Like if they would have put in a little more time and effort, they could have made a considerably better movie, but it's also good enough to watch on Netflix. Although it won't bother you if you nod off fall asleep while you're watching. So I don't know, two and a half couch cushions out of five for the outlaws on Netflix, which is, as you mentioned, their number one movie right now. I was kind of curious about
0: this after Review, I am no longer curious, but you mentioned Timothy Dalton doing some comedy. Yeah. He was fantastic in Hot Fuzz. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, he was great in that one. Yeah, he steals that whole movie. He is (laughs) so From funny people.
1: Yeah. 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 So now I got to watch that movie again. From Mission Impossible, Simon Pegg, as it turns out. That's right. Look at the the callbacks. It's
0: all tying together. And in a moment, we are going to go through the Emmy nominations as the best in television shall be
1: honored. But what got snubbed? You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And Succession leads this year's Emmy nominations with 27. All you have to do is... Vote yes and support the deal. The
0: fourth and final season of Succession dominated the Emmy nominations, including a nod for Best Drama. Stars Brian Cox, Jeremy Strong, Kieran Culkin, and Sarah Snook got acting nominations. The Last of Us has 24 nominations. The White Lotus has 23. Ted Lasso has 21, including Best Comedy Series. The Emmys are scheduled for September 18th on Fox. I'm Archie Zaraletta.
1: Yeah, and uh, four other Succession actors also got Emmy nominations than the one that Margie just listed there. This is the uh, just best supporting actor in a drama. These are the nominees. F. Marie Abraham, Nicholas Braun, Michael Imperioli, Theo James, Matthew McFadden, Alan Ruck, Will Sharp, and Alexander Skarsgård. All eight of those actors appear in either The White Lotus or Succession. That's <laughs> it. Two shows dominate that whole category. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that wild? That's crazy. Has that ever happened? Not that I can think of. I've never heard of eight people in one show ever being nominated. I mean, we've seen a lot of shows with a lot of large ensemble casts that are very good, and it's always one's in and one's not and that sort of thing so no it's uh succession people uh, cannot complain because they've all been nominated the the vote splitting might cost them all their awards i don't know but
0: and hbo
1: Matt was must
0: be thrilled with that yeah. cuz
1: they're both hbo shows oh there you go so they're guaranteed one emmy for sure kind yeah. of a thing like when, uh, you know, at the Olympics, whenever, when they do the heats and then it comes down to the final and it's like three guys from America, it's like, well, clearly they're getting some medals, kind of <laughs> a deal.
0: And they've got half the, the nominees of the best drama category.
1: Too. Yeah. Sorry. It's just wild. um The series up for best drama are Andor, that's a bit of a surprise, Better Call Saul, The Crown, House of the Dragon, The Last of Us, Succession, The White Lotus, and Yellow Jackets. Uh, the White Lotus... Won a bunch the first season, but that's when it was in the other category for the miniseries. But now that it's in season two, obviously has to be swapped into the drama. And uh, Better Call Saul, if you're wondering about that, it's because that final season aired, uh, straddled the Emmy deadline in 2022, where half the episodes were in before the deadline and half after. So that's eligible this year as well, even though it's been at this point, I guess, a full calendar year since it's been on TV. It must have ended in June or July last year. So that's what's up with that. I don't know who I would expect to win, um, uh, because Game of Thrones was such a contender. So maybe you'd think House of the Dragon has it, but again, all this heat for Succession would probably put that thing at the forefront.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think Succession is probably the way to go there. And I would uh, suggest that pff, the White Lotus would be the the runner up. Yellow Jackets as a dark horse, and I don't think as as great as Better Call Saul was as a series, I don't think it will win that category.
1: They've never won anything yet, so why would they start now at the end, right? like You would think it would have happened last year when it was still fresh in everyone's minds, and now that it's been an extra whole year. And I mean, Succession had that their fourth season, I think, was by far their best season, too. Uh, There was just uh, banger after banger, to quote Kendall, he's just all nothing but bangers, all bangers. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. Yeah, uh, moving into the comedy series, the nominees are Abbott Elementary, Barry, The Bear, Jury Duty, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Only Murders in the Building, Ted Lasso, and uh, Wednesday, which I didn't even know was a comedy, but I guess apparently it is. It was the uh, Adam Stanley show over on Netflix that was very popular amongst the teenage set. So uh, my vote, I think, would go to Abbott Elementary. That's just... uh, this is a great classic comedy. Families can watch it. It's an ABC network show. It's like about the only network show uh, nominated at all throughout the whole thing. So, uh, and I just love Abbott Elementary. That's one of my favorites. What the hell
0: is <laughs> Jury Duty? This is a problem with these these awards. They nominate stuff. I've never heard of either A, the show <laughs> Jury Duty, or B, what is- the channel that it's on Amazon Freevee
1: spelled F-R-E-E-V-E-E. As in free TV. It's, yeah. uh, it's there f- as as advertised. It's uh, a streamer that you don't have to pay for, but it has commercials and stuff. And Jury Duty, I haven't seen it. I don't know if we can even get Amazon Free v. I've not looked into it. But uh, I like the premise of the show where, remember the old Joe Schmo show? Yeah. Where they took uh, a real life guy, threw him in with a bunch of actors, but made him believe he was on a reality uh, Big Brother style show or whatever. And yeah. they asked him, ashes, dust to dust. <laughs> yes. Brett, you're dead to us. And <laughs> Good the memory! smashing of the commemorative plate in the fireplace. Just ridiculous. <laughs> um, jury duty is along those lines where it's one guy who is not an actor and thinks he is an active juror in a real... Uh, criminal case in a courtroom but it's all staged it's all fake and uh, and uh, james marsden the x-men is one of the jurors as himself and apparently plays like just the jerkish version of himself but to this poor joe schmo type he has no idea what's going on so oh. it sounds phenomenal like that i want to see it i just haven't got around to it yet
0: okay yeah i have to look at that and then uh, you mentioned the best limited or anthology series and this year we've got beef which was on netflix Dahmer monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story, also on Netflix. Daisy Jones and the Six from Prime. Fleischman is in trouble on FX, and Obi Wan Kenobi on Disney Plus. I was that might be the biggest surprise I saw in all of these lists. And on Big Snub, apparently, I haven't seen the show yet. Harrison
1: Ford on Shrinking yeah. on Apple TV And in 1923, you that guy could have been nominated for oh, two yeah. awards. Yeah, uh, none of the Yellowstone. Uh, Extended, you shows none of those got nominated either. Okay, so yeah, that's weird. For why wouldn't you have Harrison Ford as your award show if you could?
0: But uh, as Jeff pointed out, looks like the category that might be the most fun: Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series. Just two shows, eight nominees. Which one will win? I hope they have a brawl in the aisle <laughs> uh, after the winner is named. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. When are the Emmys on? By the way, September probably.
1: Yeah, all end right. of September,
0: beginning of September. All right. I'm Brad, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.